Well, as I said, today is the first Sunday of Advent. That means it's the first Sunday of a new Christian year. This is a season for sober reflection and repentance and preparation for Christmas. We are invited to feel the weight of the darkness in our hearts and in the world around us, um, which serves to increase our sense of longing as we anticipate the birth of our Savior. Over the next six weeks, through Advent and Christmas tide, the lectionary has us in the book of Isaiah. How did the ancient Israelites articulate their hope for the future? What did they think the coming Messiah would mean for the world? The book of Isaiah helps to answer those questions. Aside from the Psalms, the New Testament references Isaiah more than any other book. The New Testament talks about conquering death and wiping away tears and the new heavens and the new earth. And and all of those themes and many others were originally drawn from the book of Isaiah. So when when you think of messianic prophecy, the words and images that probably pop into your mind likely have their roots in the book of Isaiah. It's one of the most Jesus-y books of the Old Testament. In fact, many theologians have suggested that it functions as kind of a fifth gospel. In fact, even, even the word gospel has its roots in Isaiah. And so it's no accident that Jesus, as he was beginning his public ministry, entered into a synagogue on the Sabbath and read from the prophet Isaiah. If we want to understand who Jesus is, and what he came to do. We've, we've got to know this book. Our text today comes from Isaiah chapter 2. Now, throughout chapter 1, the prophet describes what he sees in graphic detail. Rebellion, iniquity, violence, corruption, bribery, injustice, unfaithfulness, trampling the poor. But chapter 2 marks a new, new beginning. Verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah didn't just hear this word, he saw this word. Isaiah is given a vision of the future. Verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, that just means sometime in the future, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. In the ancient world, mountains were regarded as places where heaven and earth met or or even overlapped. And so if if you were going to build an altar or a temple, the obvious place to do so would be on top of a mountain. And here, Isaiah sees a day when Mount Zion will stand supreme, making every other mountain small by comparison. Mount Zion was, of course, the location of the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And remarkably, Mount Zion doesn't even fall within the top 100 tallest mountains in Israel. But Isaiah sees a day when when this humble mountain will be established as the highest of all the mountains. And God, who dwells upon the highest of the mountains, will be universally acknowledged as the God of all gods. He will be exalted over all other gods. So, Isaiah's vision is exclusive. It's exclusive. 
This vision does not leave room for other gods or religions. As it says in Isaiah 42, Yahweh does not give his glory to idols. Yahweh does not play nicely with those who desire to take his throne. Isaiah's vision is exclusive. However, Isaiah's vision is also incredibly inclusive because he sees all the nations coming to Mount Zion. Verse 3, Mount Zion shall be established as the highest of the mountains and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah sees the nations of the world flowing to Mount Zion like a river. But how how does something flow upward? How can a river flow upward toward the highest of all mountains? I think that's exactly the point. The nations are drawn to Mount Zion by a divine magnetism. The nations will see the beauty and the glory and the grace and the wisdom of the God of Israel, and they will go to him to learn how to walk in his paths. We saw this in our reading from Revelation this morning. The new Jerusalem, the the new city upon the new mountain of the Lord has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The God of the nation of Israel will be the God of every nation. And I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he commissions his disciples to disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had taught them, had commanded them. The Great Commission is a call to participate with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the realization of Isaiah's vision. The Great Commission is a call to participate with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the realization of this Isaiah chapter 2 vision. And over time, as the nations flow to Zion, as the nations learn to walk by the light of the Lamb, verse 4, Yahweh shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. World peace. It's not a pipe dream. It's a messianic promise. I put a picture in your bulletin towards the back. This is a picture of a sculpture outside the United Nations headquarters in New York City. The sculpture depicts a man beating a sword into a plowshare, which is one of the images we're given in Isaiah chapter 2. It's a wonderful image. Weapons for war are transformed into tools for agriculture. When Christ reigns over the nations, we will no longer need weapons. Now, According to the UN Charter, the UN, the United Nations, was established in part to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, 
in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women, and of nations large and small. And of course, we as Christians can affirm all of those things too. I I think the impulse that led to the establishment of the United Nations is fundamentally a Christian impulse. The problem is that in Isaiah chapter 2, world peace is achieved not through treaties, but as the nations of the world submit themselves to Yahweh, the God of Israel. According to the Bible, there can be no lasting peace unless God is permitted to mediate between the nations. There can be no lasting peace until the nations worship Him together. True worship is what leads to true peace. And the pursuit of, any, of peace by any other means is ultimately delusional. And so we as Christians, we can thank God for the UN. We, we can thank Him for the UN. It's a wonderful thing. But as Christians, we cannot place our hope in the UN. Even as we affirm the, the good, the very good desire for world peace, even as we celebrate treaties and international agreements, we must also, we must also be leading the nations up the mountain of the Lord. And how do we do that? Verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. If the nations are to come to the mountain of the Lord, the people of God must walk in the light of the Lord. We who already know the Lord have a, have a special responsibility to walk in His light before the nations. Matthew chapter 5, this is from our gospel reading today. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, that is a a city set on a mountain. That's the word for mountain. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When the Holy Spirit inspires us to walk in the light, and when the Holy Spirit fills us with that light, that that divine magnetism is triggered, and the nations flow uphill. That's the responsibility of the church before the world. But what does it mean to walk in the light? This is from Psalm 119. I bet you know this verse. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a light unto my path. To walk in the light is to walk by the word of God. If we want the nations to learn his ways and to walk in his paths, it begins with us. We are Zion. We are the new Jerusalem. We are that city set on a mountain. The nations are supposed to be able to see the Word of God lived out in us, first of all, in the church. The promise of Isaiah chapter 2 begins in every heart and every life in this room. Advent is a time for hope and anticipation, but it's also a time for repentance. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Each and every one of us should be able to identify some way in which our manner of living resists 
and perhaps even undermines the peace that God wants to give the world. Maybe it's something we do. Maybe it's something we say. Maybe it's just something we think. But we must invite the light of God into our own hearts so that we can be people of light, so that we can be a community of light, a city of light set on a mountain. And if you think it's absurd for me to suggest that our small congregation could actually move the needle toward toward world peace, I want to remind you, Mount Zion doesn't even fall within the top 100, 100 tallest mountains in Israel. But the Lord chose Zion as the place of His dwelling. And today He says the same of you. You are Zion. You are the place of His dwelling. You are the city set on a mountain. And so we should lay claim to that identity. Lay claim to that identity. Know His Word. Walk in His light. Watch Him redeem the nations. Watch Him hammer into oblivion the weapons of war. May may we participate with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the realization of Isaiah chapter 2. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, You are the God of gods, and we lift You up above all others. Jesus, You are the King of kings. Please bring us peace, and may You have the worship of the nations. Holy Spirit, You are the Lord of life. Teach us to live. Teach us to walk in the light of Your Word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.